Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach to Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Wade Fow. Wade, are you ready to do this? I am. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Excellent. Let's do this. Wade is a professor of retirement income at the American College. He is the director of retirement research for McLean Asset Management. He has a PhD in economics. He is a CFA, and he is the author of the newest book, How much can I spend in retirement? I'm excited to have you on. Wade, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, so my focus is on retirement income. It's, it's a relatively new field. I've been at the American College outside of Philadelphia for about five years now, and the college really it's trains financial advisors. We have a number of different financial advisor designation programs, including one focusing on retirement income. I, I do research here before coming to the American College. I lived in Japan for 10 years and at that time was focused more on national pension systems and, and retirement questions, but more from the government national approach. And I, I made that transition into personal financial planning and never looked back. I, I love doing research in this area. Got it. Excellent. Well, that's interesting. I, uh, I I did not know that you lived in Japan for 10 years. That must have been quite an experience. <laughs> it was, yeah, in Tokyo. So very much a big city and, and very different from Iowa, where I'm from originally here in the U.S. <laughs> Got it, certainly. So when people, well, what do people really need to know about your work, if, if you could boil it down? Well, the the retirement income is different, and it's just been in the past 10 years that that's been increasingly recognized. The idea that whatever investment strategies you use pre-retirement, the modern portfolio theory, the asset allocation, diversified investment portfolios, and so forth, that really changes in retirement because the nature of risk changes in retirement. People have to really focus on the longevity risk of not knowing how long their money should last and then on the, the sequence of returns risk, the idea that it's not just the average market return if you have a 30-year retirement, but the order that those returns come and, and that sequence risk really amplifies the impact of investment volatility. So you really have to approach the retirement problem differently. And, and my research has just then been on looking at different tools and strategies and ways to help manage these retirement risks generally going beyond just looking at an investment portfolio that my, my research started on with the 4% rule of thumb for retirement income was a guideline of how to use an investment portfolio to manage your retirement. But I, I have concerns that that rule is not as safe as it seems, especially in this low interest rate environment. And that just led me in the direction of, well, how can you really build comprehensive retirement income strategies going beyond just the investment portfolio, looking at all the household assets, whether it's home equity, whether it's the use of annuities and insurance, but just thinking more holistically about retirement. Which makes all the sense in the world. Um, it almost seems silly at this point. While this is a new discipline, this idea of, of designing retirement income, um, it does seem like a kind of an obvious thing that people should be really, really focused on. From your experience working 
um, and researching pensions, which is essentially the opposite of what people are dealing with today, right? Because a pension would just guarantee you an income, so you wouldn't have to worry about mm-hmm. it. Right. So the, the individual. <laughs> right, and so now that's totally shifted to the individual. Uh, but pensions obviously are are dying quickly. Um, how do you? Are there similarities that you can draw between the challenges that pensions are facing to some of the challenges that individuals are facing? Mm-hmm. Well, in the traditional defined benefit pension world, the the big challenge was always for the government or for private companies, whenever it came time to negotiate, you know, should you, do you want a higher salary? Well, maybe that's not so practical. So how about instead we offer you a higher pension and we just kick the can down the road. And so all these pension promises became too overly optimistic. The The pension funds may often assume you'll get an 8% rate of return every year. And if you lag that return, then it's also your, it's not funded. It's, you, if you got an 8% return, the uh, pension fund might be sustainable, but if you fall below that, it's not sustainable. And so that led companies for the most part to increasingly shift away from those traditional company pensions and to instead offer 401ks, the defined contribution pension where the individual is then on their own to manage the the market risk to invest to make those contributions, invest in their own personal account, and then have to manage the longevity risk and the, the market risk that a pension fund, if they're not being overly generous and letting their actuaries be involved in the process and, and determine what is a sustainable amount of income from the pension, well, then they can pool those risks, pool the market risk across different cohorts of workers, pool the longevity risk where some people won't live as long, others will live longer. But everyone can get a pension, like they'll get an average type of market return that's not too overly optimistic and live to an average life expectancy. And now individuals in the absence of that traditional pension increasingly have to figure out how to manage those risks on their own. And then ultimately that means just having to spend less in retirement to try to stretch the asset base out if they're just using an investment portfolio to stretch their assets out over a potentially long retirement and potentially with poor market returns during retirement. Got it. It's a lot of great information right there. Something that's been on my mind as of late and I don't, I don't have an answer to it. Um, interest rates have been so low for so long now. And you mentioned how that has had an impact on the validity, the validity or the utility of the 4% rule. But, as interest rates begin to rise, which at some point I would have to assume that they will, how is that going to impact the amount of debt that the United States has and potentially then trickle down to the individual person? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, the kind of the big macroeconomic questions there that the debt burden will grow if, as interest rates rise because then the, you know, the government's when they're issuing new debt, they have to build in higher interest payments on that. And all these questions about how much debt is too much, when do we reach the point where there's severe repercussions? It's all about the supply and demand in the bond market. And if the supply of bonds is greater than the demand, that's going to push down bond prices, push up interest rates. And and you could see 
dramatic increases in interest rates and all the the accompanying economic issues that come with that. So it's it's really hard to predict when that could become a problem. And it's interesting how the bond markets really still price in nothing like that happening. That when you look at the the break even between traditional treasury bonds and then tips that that have the inflation protection built in the markets don't foresee inflation rising above around 2% over the next 30 years. And so that suggests there won't be kind of any major run up in interest rates that would suggest the need to have higher yields on, on traditional treasury debt. So it's hard to predict that sort of thing, but it's always something looming there that we are, we do have a large national debt. It, it, could create some significant economic repercussions at some point down the road. We just don't know when, <laughs> which <laughs> right. makes it tricky to plan for. So that's one of those uncontrollable things that we maybe, I maybe should not spend quite as much time thinking about. But all that being said, I just read about this morning how Americans over the age of 65 are declaring bankruptcy a lot more than they used to. Um, so, what do you attribute that to? Is it they didn't save enough? They're spending too much? A little bit of everything? Well, yeah, I haven't seen that report, and so, yeah, I don't know exactly, but it could be a little bit of everything there. It's, and then also, still, people after the the financial crisis, if they left the stock market, their portfolios never recovered. Increasingly, people take the view that they'll continue to work into their 60s and late 60s and even to 70. But if they find in the reality they're not able to keep their job for as long as they had, and had anticipated, that can create hardships. So, so yeah, it could just be all of the above with seeing an uptick in bankruptcy rates. Got it. So in, in your most recent book, how, can I, how much can I spend in retirement? How is that? How has that been received? Is I mean, I I don't think people like the idea of having to to curb their spending, but there's certain realities that we have to face. Uh huh. And, well, and the book talks about there's really four different ways to manage this combined impact of sequence risk and longevity risk, and a lot of the attention is just focused on on one of the ways, which is to spend conservatively. And that's where the 4% rule comes into play. And whether I question if you really want to have that consistent spending throughout retirement, 4% may be too aggressive in the current economic environment. And, and that, uh, that message can be depressing. But there are other ways to approach the, uh, the spending problem as well. So spending conservatively is just the one way. Other aspects, you can, if you're flexible with your spending, if you can have the potential to reduce your spending, if the markets are down, that can allow you to spend more initially in retirement. You can look at things like risk pooling with insurance, which really is a way to, with an annuity, to recreate that traditional company pension through through an insurance company rather than through the traditional company that the employer that provided that pension. And then also uh, the buffer asset, having something outside your investment portfolio that's not correlated with your portfolio and that you can draw from temporarily when markets are down. And and that can help to support a higher spending rate. Sequence risk is triggered by having to sell assets at a loss. And so these other types of approaches are ways to 
support higher spending and, and then even potentially spend more than at a 4% rate if you have enough spending flexibility and you have the, including risk pooling in the strategy as well and having buffer assets like home equity through a reverse mortgage or uh, the cash value on a permanent life insurance policy, something like that. All of that together, it's still possible to spend more. And, and so it doesn't have to be completely depressing when you just look at the, the spend conservatively right. aspect. It's not all going to be hand to mouth in retirement, hopefully. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can plan in advance and structure your assets in a way to to be able to spend more than whatever the, the 4% rule or its equivalent would be. The, the 4% rule is meant to be really conservative. It may not be conservative enough, but it was at least designed to last to age 95, which not everyone will live that long. It's well beyond life expectancy. And also to work in the worst 30-year period from U.S. historical returns. So again, it may not be conservative enough, but it was meant to be conservative. And if you can take different approaches, you don't necessarily have to behave in, in such a conservative manner. Got it. Okay. And the 4% rule, that's saying that every year you can spend 4% of your assets on retirement income? It, it, it's defined more in terms of the first year of retirement. That if, if you say you had a million dollars and you retire, the 4% rule says you can take out $40,000 in that first year. And then after the first year, you don't use a withdrawal rate anymore. You just, you can adjust your $40,000 for inflation. Whatever your withdrawal rate is, doesn't matter. If your portfolio is growing, your withdrawal rate goes down. But if your portfolio is losing value, your withdrawal rate goes up. It's different from the idea of spend 4% of what's left every year. That, that approach is a, a flexible spending approach that actually does not create sequence risk and could allow for a, a much higher distribution rate. Got it. Okay. So taking a look at all the different assets that you have that are available to you, having a buffer asset, what are some examples of, of, of a buffer account? Mm -hmm. Well, there's really three that are discussed. The, the original buffer asset was just having a big pile of cash, and that was more popular in the 1980s when, when you had higher yields on savings accounts and so forth. Today, not a lot of people are talking about having a few years' worth of their spending just held in cash. So the, the buffer assets that are talked about more today are the, uh, the line of credit, growing line of credit on a reverse mortgage, and then also the cash value component of a permanent life insurance policy. Got it. Okay, excellent. So, depending on what survey that you look at, Americans are doing kind of a bad job of saving for retirement. And if it is true that that more and more folks over the age of 65 aren't able to work and they're having to declare bankruptcy, whatever it might be, do you think that that different steps are going to need to be taken to help to guarantee that people will start saving, like forcing people to save for retirement or increasing the amount of taxes we're going to pay? Am I being too draconian in, <laughs> in, in, in looking at this? 
Um, well, at least, yeah, we should try to be careful not to weaken Social Security. A lot of the, there's this kind of interesting quote that 70% of people age 70 and older get 70% or more of their spending from Social Security. And so we want to keep that program strong. It's sometimes you'll hear discussions about, like in, in Australia now, they've done, they have this mandatory savings where people are forced to save into private accounts. And that's where in the US, we don't have something like that. We have the 401k plans and that sort of thing, but it's all voluntary. No one's forced to contribute. And how, how, how has that been going in Australia? How are people, obviously they're saving because they have to. For retirement, but the cons are with people living paycheck to paycheck already, the highest priority may not be retirement savings. They may have bigger priorities that need funded sooner, and, and so it's important to find some sort of balance there. But I think the main thing is at least don't further weaken Social Security. Don't privatize Social Security. Make sure as more and more pensions are going away, that Americans at least have some type of traditional pension, which is what Social Security is. It's a, another one of these traditional pensions that provides a guaranteed income for life with inflation protection, with spousal benefits, with survivor benefits, and then pre-retirement as well with the disability benefits. Right. And from your research and your understanding of the program, it's it's funded properly, or should we be concerned about that? Well, it's not not sustainably funded. That's traditionally it was meant to be pay as you go, so it didn't have any funding. It was just current workers pay for current beneficiaries. But in anticipation of these demographic trends, which are that people are living longer, people are having fewer children, the the proportion of beneficiaries to workers is going up. There's a lot more beneficiaries per person today and in the future than there was in the past. So they have been trying to fund it. We have the, the trust fund now that was building up in anticipation. And I think the, the most recent Social Security trustees report said, I think in 2034, they estimate the trust fund will be depleted. And then if we go back to pay as you go, the worker contributions could pay for 70% of presently legislated, or it might be a little more than 70%. It changes every year, so I don't remember exactly what this right. year's numbers were, but uh, about 70% of the presently legislated benefits. So it's not that Social Security would disappear, but if no action is taken in 2034, there'd have to be a, a pretty dramatic cut to Social Security benefits. Got it. Great. Well, wait, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Uh, well, yeah, just kind of what we've emphasized a little bit about just thinking beyond your investment portfolio and thinking beyond the, the 4% rule of how much you can spend from your investment portfolio to really take an assessment of all your household assets and how they can best be linked to the different expenses you have in retirement. And I think that's a much more practical way to build a retirement income strategy than, than this focus that's been out there on just how much you can spend from an investment portfolio. Well, I love it. That is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. So, Wade, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? 
Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, um, so my website, you can find me online at retirementresearcher.com. It's all one word, retirement researcher. And I've got a very, now years and years of blog posts that you can go through and also a weekly email list people can sign up for. Also information about my books and things can all be found there. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show wage your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to retirementresearcher.com. He's got a ton of information I can certainly vouch for on there and sign up for his email list and get a copy of or copies of his books. Thank you again, Wade. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!